All right, this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. All that's announcement, let's get that out of the way. Let's, let's get in the Bible. Let's get into these ancient words that are ever true. And, and let's, let's allow them to change me and to change you. Because we've come with open hearts. So let the ancient word impart. Amen? That's a pretty strong song. That's a, that's a, real, that's a real powerful song. It's a great prayer leading right into what we're going to do this morning as we open up these ancient words. And so this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, the last two, this week, last week, we talked about, or we're talking about missions giving. We're talking about our faith promise mission commitments, how we're going to partner with people financially, prayerfully, just like we talked about this morning, to reach the world with the gospel. And so last week, we were in John chapter 6, and the message was entitled, Giving So That All May Be Filled. And we looked at the, the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Do you guys remember that from last week? And we looked at all the characters involved in that story, how God himself had a burden. He had compassion for the multitudes, and he wanted them to be fed. God's compassion extends even today. God's desire is that those that are poor and hungry in spirit be spiritually fed by the word of God and by the gospel. And we saw that those disciples, they understood what the Lord was saying, but all they saw was challenges, and, and, and they saw impossibility. And yet there was a lad in that story that said, I don't know how this is going to work, but here's what I have to give. And he had the loaves and the fishes. And once he put those in the Lord's hands, the Lord was able to take that, to break it, and distribute to the multitudes. And we, and we said last week, that's a great picture of, of partnering with other people to get the bread of life, Jesus Christ, to the multitudes. God, God wants the multitudes to know that there's bread from heaven that's, that's able to fill you and to satisfy you. And, and listen, you won't find satisfaction in anything else in this life other than Jesus Christ. And, and so we looked at that as a great example of missions giving. This morning, we're going to look at another New Testament example in the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to get it out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and the message is entitled, Being Biblically Prepared to Give. And as you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let me just tell you, this is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, chapters on giving in all of the Bible. And so if you want to just maybe mark that in your margin, man, it's all about giving. And remember, we studied a few weeks ago in Romans that Paul is talking about taking an offering from a bunch of churches to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And, and he's asking those churches to give so that they can minister to the saints in Jerusalem. And as a matter of fact, Paul even says that those Gentile churches were indebted to give back to the, to the saints in Jerusalem because of the spiritual investment that had been made. He said in Romans 15 and verse 27, he says, It, it pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And, and, and God wants us just to be reminded that there's always a trade-off. You can invest spiritually, and, and that's what our missionaries do, that's what our leaders at our church do, and as a result of that, we should invest carnally with our money. Because it helps sustain the ministry. And, and that's why you can support a missionary like Brian Kaoma, and you can support him 
in prayer, but you certainly can support him financially. And guess what he can do in Malawi? He can preach the gospel. He can win people to Christ. He can disciple people. He can plant churches. And you as an individual and this church corporately can gain fruit in a place that you've never been or can't go. And that's so important. And so this morning, as we get into 2 Corinthians 9, Paul again is addressing this issue of this offering back to Jerusalem. And we're going to see how we need to be prepared biblically to give. And so let's read verses 1 to 5, then I'll pray. So Paul writes and he says in in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 1, For as touching the ministering to the saints, and he's calling this ministry an offering, so giving is ministry, it is superfluous for me to write unto you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf. As I said, ye may be ready. And just, and just pay attention to how many times he says the phrase, be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me, they find you unprepared. We, that is to say, not, uh, that is that we say, not ye, should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. And so this morning we're going to talk about being biblically prepared to give. So let's go to the Lord and pray and ask him to, to bless our, our time. Father, we need you this morning. Thank you for the words uh, that we've sang. Thank you for the, 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 the words that, that, Lord, impress upon our heart a desire to hear you and to hear your word. And, and God, open these ancient words the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we want to hear from you today. We want to be biblically prepared Christians to do what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, we need you today. Again, we pray for Gabe. We pray for Brian Kaoma. God, minister to them both physically and spiritually. May they know that they are loved uh, by this congregation. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So you got notes this morning, and uh, so let's get right into the notes. Number one, how, how do we learn how to be biblically prepared to give? Number one, we need to learn to be ready with our bounty. Be ready with our bounty. And, and as Paul is opening this chapter, he, he's wanting the Corinthians to know they need to be ready to participate in this offering because they've received spiritual investment. Paul is saying you need to be ready to give carnally with, and, and when I say carnally, I just mean money, okay? You need to be ready to give to help because of the spiritual investment. You can partner in a very physical, financial way. And so there's three things that will help us get ready to give biblically. Number one, we need to have the matter of our mind settled. Because giving is a matter of the mind. You've you got to make a decision. Now look what Paul says about the Corinthians. He says, as touching the ministering to the saints... It's superfluous for me to write unto you. In other words, it's really not even necessary that I write to you, Corinthians, because he said in verse 2, I know the forwardness of your mind. And he says, listen, you've kind of made your mind up that you're going to be a part of this. He even says in the very next sentence in that verse, your zeal hath provoked very many. In other words, the Corinthians, when they found out about this need, mentally, they got on board with it. They got excited about it. They started talking about it. They got zealous about it. 
And, and listen, have you ever been around anybody like that? I mean, they're so excited about what God is doing or an opportunity, and once they start talking about it, it, it actually provokes you to get excited about it and to want to know more about it. That's what's happening. Paul is boasting of the Corinthians, and he actually boasted to those in Macedonia about the Corinthians. He says, listen, these guys, I told them about this opportunity. They got so excited. There's, their mind was zealous toward what the need was. The Corinthian zeal provoked other churches to get involved with this offering. Hebrews 10 and verse 24 says that we're to consider one another and to provoke each other unto love and to good works. And, and, and so when he says that your zeal has provoked other churches, it, it's excited other churches, it's stirred up other churches, it's, it's stimulated other Christians to action. And that, that ought to get us excited. When you hear what God's doing in somebody else's life, or you hear about an opportunity, or you hear about a mission trip, or hey, there's a missionary with a need, well, that ought to get your excitement up just a bit, man. The zeal of that ought to be contagious. And the Corinthians had a mind. The Bible says their mind was forward. It, it, it was pointed in the right direction. They had a zealous mind. But can I just tell you that a zealous mind doesn't make you ready? Because a lot of people get excited about church and ministry and missions and even giving. But just because you get excited about it and you're fervent in spirit about it, it doesn't mean you follow through with it. Has anybody ever got excited about exercise? <laughs> you talk about it. You watch all the YouTube videos. You pay the, you pay the monthly fee for the gym. You download the app. You get the program. You get the diet and nutrition book. You get so excited. You have a zealous mind. And I'm talking to me right now. And then about two weeks later, it's like, where's the donuts? <laughs> Man, giving is, is a matter of the mind. We have to have a zealous mind and, and a provoked mind. But just having a provoked mind won't make us biblical givers. Okay. So, so after the matter of the mind, the second thing is important for us to understand from the Corinthians. It's the matter of our money. Okay? And then I want you to look at verses 3 to 4. So he says, yet... And remember, the first two verses, Paul is commending the Corinthians. You have a, you have a forward mind. You have a zealous mind. Your zeal hath provoked many. And then he says, yet... In other words, that's not good enough. Yet I have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest haply, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, we should be ashamed in this confident boasting. And so what Paul is saying is he's telling the Corinthians, hey, you have the right mind, but you now have to get prepared in other words, it's like Paul is leveraging all the bragging that he's done. He's, he's leveraged all the bragging that he's done about the Corinthians. He's leveraging that against the Corinthians. Do you see how he's doing that? Because he basically says, hey, listen, you guys talked a big game. Man, it'd be really awkward if I showed up or the, these brothers from Macedonia and you're unprepared to participate. He, he, he's leveraging that against them, but for their benefit. He wants to make sure 
that they're ready. And the reason why is because zeal without preparation will make somebody ashamed. Now, Paul, Paul is the one that's been bragging on them to all these other churches. He's telling the churches in Macedonia, hey, these Corinthians are ready to go, man. Are you ready to go? Because they're ready to go. And so Paul's been, been bragging about them. It would be, it's going to make Paul look like an idiot if they don't come through on what they said. Does that make sense? And, and, and so Paul is, is saying, listen, your zeal has provoked the Macedonians. And if those guys come with me to Corinth and they find that you haven't even prepared your offering, we're going to be ashamed. It's going to be, an, it's going to be a shame to us. Paul was, and Paul didn't say you're going to be ashamed. Paul said he himself was going to be ashamed because he's the one bragging. He was going to bear their shame because of their lack of preparation. Ashamed because he was confidently boasting of them. And so, this is not in your notes, but it's worth writing down. We can either be ready or we can be ashamed in the area of giving. We can either be ready or we can be ashamed. And and listen, the shame of, of not being prepared may not come out in this life. But can I can I just warn you, Christian, that at the judgment seat of Christ, you can have a zealous mind about a lot of things, but if you don't get serious about that, those things, including giving, well, there will be shame, and, and it may not be manifest in this life, but it will be when Christ appears at the judgment seat of Christ. First John chapter 2 and verse 18 tells us, he says, Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And I think as Christians, we we forget that when we see the Lord face to face, number one, fantastic. Man, our salvation has become real. Our faith has become sight. But can I also tell you, in that moment, there's an opportunity for us as believers to, to experience shame. And the reason why is because we had a mind to do some things for God. We had a mind to walk with God. We had a mind to get serious about the mission of God, but we never followed through with it with our life. And then when we see him face to face, well, we won't have any life left to live that out in faith. So we we have to keep that in focus. Paul is a great example of Christ because Paul is saying, listen, I'm bragging on you. I've told all these churches about you. Man, if we show up and you're not prepared, I'll be ashamed. I'm going to bear your shame. And Christ has bore our shame on the cross of Calvary. But I'm telling you, at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll bear our own shame. We'll stand and give an account. And so, and so that's why Paul says, hey, listen, I know you have a zeal, but I, I've sent some brothers to check in on you. I want to make sure that they're going to come to you and find you prepared. Make up your bounty beforehand so that you're ready. And then, and then the third thing that we need to give to make sure our bounty is ready is, is we have to have the matter of motivation settled. So we have to have a right mind. We got to put some, some financials down on paper and get prepared with our money. But then number, number three, we have to have the right motivation. And, and man, God forbid you listen to this message and think, man, the, the pastor is, is after our money. Uh, number one, the pastor doesn't see any of your money. He doesn't get your money. He's not wanting your money. God doesn't need your money either, by the way. Uh, he has cattle on a thousand hills. He, he owns all of it. So you're, whatever you make a week is a joke. Don't even, don't, don't kid yourself. 
uh, we're talking about God, right? God doesn't need your money. The issue is the motivation. So look what he says in verse 5. Because he knew the Corinthians were going to struggle in this area, just like most people do. He says, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you to make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of what? Of covetousness. And so what the Apostle Paul is trying to do is to make sure that the Corinthians understand his motivation. He's asking them to give, to be a part of a ministry, to invest carnally with carnal things, with money, into spiritual ministry. And by the way, it is also spiritual when you give. Paul said the motivation is a matter of bounty. And so that's your next blank. It's a matter of bounty. And that word bounty is translated nearly every other time in the New Testament as blessing. And he says, listen, when you give, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to to you when you give, and it's a blessing to the recipient when you give. Okay? Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. The Bible says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, here's what Jesus said, it's more blessed to what? Give than to what? There is a blessing that happens when you give. God is telling us through his word that this issue of giving, it's a matter of bounty. It's a matter of blessing. You say, hey, I want to be a blessing to somebody else. Well, you are a blessing to somebody else when you give. But man, you're blessed when you give. There's a blessing that comes from giving. Christ himself said that. The question is, where did he say that? And by the way, if you read your gospel accounts, you're not going to find anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But let me assure you, the Holy Spirit has the patent on God's word. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, when Paul said it's more blessed to give them to receive, and this is the words of the Lord Jesus, Jesus said it. You may not find the the, the cash equivalent in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but the scriptures of the scriptures, inspired and preserved by the Holy Spirit of God, and you can take it to the bank that Jesus Christ said it, and it's true, and it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's a matter of bounty. When we give, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to others. It's a blessing to us. And then Paul says, hey, I want to make sure you understand We're asking you to give because it's a matter of bounty, not covetousness. Now, now covetousness, well, that's all through the Bible. (laughs) And we're going to talk about it just a second. And I, I just want us to understand, Paul's desire was not personal gain from this offering. It was not covetousness. It wasn't Paul wanting to get his hands on money. And so I want you to understand, we talk about missions giving in our church and giving to our local church and giving to our ministry, it's not because of covetousness. It's not because we're sitting around thinking, man, we can't, if everybody would give this amount, we could do these things. That's not what we do. That's, that's covet. We, we don't do that. That's not what we do. Covetousness, the Bible tells us, is a work of the flesh. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication. By the way, all these things need to be killed spiritually in your life. And the list starts with fornication. So that's a good one to go ahead and stop. Uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, 
and covetousness, which is what? Now, I know you don't think of covetousness not like that, but God does. God says that covetousness is idolatry, and none of us would admit to being idolaters this morning, but God says, listen, if you have covetousness in your heart, it's a work of the flesh, and it is idolatry. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3, God says there are some things that shouldn't even be named once among Christians. Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 3. But fornication, fornication shouldn't be named once. And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. And so if you need a list to help guide some of the activities in your life, there it is. If it's fornication, if it has anything to do with uncleanness or covetousness, well, it shouldn't be named in your life. Amen. God's word tells us that covetousness is a mark of false prophets and false teachers. Would you look at 2 Peter chapter 2? Verses 1 to 3, it says, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. In other words, if you stand up and say, You have ancient words ever true, that are able to change me and to change you because you have a preserved word of God, well, guess what? That way of truth will be evil spoken of. And false prophets and false teachers will be happy to sell you some other version of the Bible, which also brings in damnable heresies with it. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words Make merchandise of who? You. You know, I made a comment several months ago when Lifeway Christian Bookstore closed in Huntsville. I said that's probably the best thing that could have happened uh, in the Christian community. And, you know, there were some people that looked at me and, oh, well, that's ugly. Why would you say that? Well, I would say that because of Second Peter chapter 2. Because there are false teachers and false prophets that bring in damnable heresies that speak evil of the way of truth. Oh, and by the way, They do it while they're taking your money. So covetousness is a sign of false teachers and false prophets. Okay, so so we have to have a right mind. We have to have prepared money. We have to have the right motivation when we give. And we need to understand the biblical motivation that God's given us through his word. Okay, so that's how we're ready with our bounty. And then number two, because we're, we're running out of time... We need to be purposeful in our heart. Now, I want you to pick it up in verse 6. We haven't read this passage yet. Look at verses 6 to 7. Paul says, But I say, He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And so we've already established that the Corinthians had a mind to give. They had a forward mind. They had a zeal in their mind, but now they need a heart to give. 
More specifically, they need to purpose in their heart to give. Remember how I told you a lot of times, man, we get caught in the trap, whatever the thing is for you. You get really excited about it. You get a zeal about it. That's all you can talk about. That's all you can look at online. It, it, that's it. But, but when it comes to the follow-through, there's no heart in it, and, and it doesn't last. Okay, well, well listen, Paul is kind of saying this thing of giving, it starts in your mind, but it's got it's to end up in your heart. You have to purpose in your heart, and you're going to either sow sparingly or, or sow bountifully, and depending on how you sow, that's how you reap. So let's talk about this for a second. I want you to know, first and foremost, that the Lord himself has a purposed heart. God himself has a purposed heart. Look at Isaiah 14 and verse 24. It says, The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so it shall come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. So the Lord has thought some things, and he's purposed some things, and those things are going to come to pass. Does that make sense? We're just trying to say that, listen... Having an emotional response to a need is not enough. You have to have purpose in your heart. Solomon had a purposed heart. Look at 1 Kings 5 and verse 5. It says, Behold, I purposed to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God. Did Solomon build the temple? You know why he built the temple? Because he had a zeal about it. Well, he did have a zeal about it, but he settled the issue where? In his heart, he purposed his heart. And so he finished and followed through with what God desired. Daniel had a purposed heart. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's portion of meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel made a decision. He purposed in his heart, I'm not eating the king's meat. And he was a captive. He was taken cap- captive. And yet he said, listen, I'm not eating that pagan food because it will defile me before my God. He purposed in his heart. God tells us in Acts chapter 11 that the, the believers at Antioch, Barnabas, encouraged them to have a purposed heart. Look at verse 23. Acts 11 verse 23. Barnabas, who when he came, he sent the... Gr- he, he had seen the grace of God. He was glad. He exhorted them all. And with purpose of heart, he encouraged them to cleave to the Lord. Here's the point. Is your Christian life lived out on purpose? Or is it without purpose? Well, I got a mind to do some things. Fantastic. What's purposed in your heart? And, he, and here's the question, and this goes in your blank. What have you purposed in your heart to do in your relationship with Christ? What have you purposed in your heart to do in your relationship with Christ? Let me ask it like this. Have you purposefully made a plan to read your Bible? Because that happens on purpose. It doesn't happen on accident. You purpose in your heart that you're going to spend time every day in the Word of God. You say, well, I had that thought. That's awesome. It needs to migrate about 18 inches down You've you've had that thought in your mind. It needs to migrate down into your heart. Studying God's word happens on purpose. Reading God's word happens on purpose. So have you purposed to set a time and a place to study God's word? Do you put it on the calendar? Do you put it in your planner? Because if you don't, you're not purposing toward it. Have you purposefully planned to have a consistent prayer life? 
Because effectual fervent prayer happens on purpose. It doesn't happen on accident. And if you don't purpose to pray, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to pray. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, When Daniel knew the writing was signed, in other words, everybody's got to bow to this, this image and you can't worship any other God, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Do you know why Daniel kept praying even when it was illegal and even when it was decreed that you can't worship another God? Because he purposed in his heart. He didn't just have a passing thought, hey, I probably should be praying. No, he purposed in his heart, I'm going to pray and this pagan king and his legislation will not stop me. Have you purposefully planned to give? And that means sitting down and doing a budget and you say, well, I can't give because I live on a limited budget. Can I just tell you, join the club. Everybody lives on a limited budget. There's a limit to what you have and to what you don't have. Everyone lives on a limited budget. So being faithful to give on purpose means taking the steps necessary. Look at your finances. Get rid of debt. Be consistent. Set up recurring giving online. Show up to church with your checkbook. Do you you guys remember what a checkbook is? Like the Ten Commandments on stone and then the checkbook is like right there historically just kind of right next to each other. It may mean it may mean getting some cash on Friday so you can show up ready to give on Sunday. Well, see, that doesn't happen if you don't purpose in your heart. Have you purposed to serve? Can I just tell you, serving doesn't happen on accident. You purpose that you're going to be available, that you're willing to serve. And and when there's a need or an opportunity, you've already purposed in your heart that you're willing to meet that need. So when I said this morning that we need help, hopefully there's some people with purposed hearts that said, I'm available. I've already decided that whatever the opportunity is, I'm going to step into that opportunity and serve the Lord. Have you purposed to be faithful? I'm talking about being faithful to church. Because listen, if you're still trying to decide on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, if you're going to come to church by 11 o'clock to worship the God of all creation, if church is a Sunday morning decision for you, then you have a heart issue. And you have it purposed in your heart that you're going to worship God Almighty. You say, we don't have to come to church to go to heaven. Well, I didn't say that. But you do have to come to church and gather and corporately assemble with the body of Christ to be a spiritual, mature Christian. And we'll go down that rabbit trail as long as you want to go because there's about a million verses that prove it. You see, when I got saved at the age of 21, I purposed about five minutes after I got saved that I needed to be in church. It took the Holy Spirit about five minutes of work in my life to make me understand you need to be with the body of Christ. And it took me about five minutes after I got saved to realize I probably need to start praying. And I don't know how to pray, but I'm just going to start praying the best I know how. And it took about five minutes after I got saved to realize, you know what, I probably need to read the Bible. Because God has something to say to me. And that's a settled issue. And that's a settled issue in my home. We don't don't wake up on Sunday morning wondering if we're going to come to church on Sunday morning. You say, well, you get paid. You're the pastor. 
Well, let me just tell you, I wasn't always the pastor. And I've been a Christian a long time. And that issue's been settled for a long time. It's been settled about five minutes after I got saved. That I'm going to be in the house of God. You see, the issue is the heart. You know, it's a settled issue in my home that we're going to worship God in my home. That as a husband, I'm going to lead my house in the ways of God. That we're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about the Word of God. We're going to live it out by faith. I'm going to pray with my kids. You know why? Because I purposed in my heart. What are you purposing? Oh, well, I have a mind to do that. I get really excited about the thought of that. The problem is your mind never connected with your heart, and nothing has ever changed. So what are you purposing to do? That would be the only time right now in a message that you would say, please start talking about giving again. Because we don't do anything that we don't purpose to do. So here's the next key in your notes. The purpose of our heart is going to determine how we give. How we purpose our heart is going to determine how we give. And when we go back to those verses in verses 6 and 7, it gives us several adverbs. These L-Y words are adverbs. They're, They're how we would give. God says you may give sparingly. And he gives us a warning, and, and, and it, not a warning, but just a truth. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. In other words, if you sow stingily, uh, again, the, the, the agricultural illustration can't be overlooked. If you go into a field and you sow just a little bit of seed, you're only going to reap a small harvest. But if you sow bountifully, God said that you're going to reap Bountifully. Remember that word bounty is translated blessing many times in the New Testament. Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 17, he's not desiring a gift, he's desiring fruit that may abound to our account. When we give to missions, when we give to faith promise, when we partner with missionaries and we sow bountifully, we get to reap a spiritual harvest. And you may not see it in this life, but at the judgment seat of Christ, when somebody from Malawi, Africa, comes up to you and says, I never met you before this moment, but I want to thank you for investing in a man named Brian Kaoma because that guy led me to Christ and he baptized me and he discipled me and my family is saved because of his ministry and you had a, you had a part in it. Well, well, bro, how much better does it get than that? And listen, at the judgment seat of Christ, it's all going to shake out. God says we can give sparingly, we can give bountifully, we can give grudgingly if we're not careful. And grudgingly literally means while we're murmuring. You know, it's like, oh, don't take my money. Uh, Mutteringly, complainingly. God says that we're not to give like that. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9 says we're, we're to use hospitality one to another without grudging, without murmuring, without complaining. And God says, listen, we ought to give not of necessity. In other words, of duty, of obligation. We ought to give to be a blessing. Because that's what God gives. I mean, God gave when it cost him everything. And he gave his son to die on the cross for our sin. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that Jesus, the author and finisher of our, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus Christ gave his life 
because there was joy set before him. You say that cost him his life. It sure did. But he gained so much. He gained a bride. He gained a church. The redeemed of the Lord are able to worship God. Forgiveness of sin has been settled once and all, once and for all in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we're to give. We're to give cheerfully. We're to give bountifully because that's the way God gives. And let's get to the last point. Because listen, when we talk about giving, the obvious question is always, well, man, how am I going to survive <laughs> if I give like that? How am I going to live? You, you calling me to give like God gives. Now, I'm not calling you to do that. The Bible is. When you commit to give, there's always going to be challenges. So here's the last point, and this is for all of us. We need to be confident in God's ability. Look at verse 8. So, so right on the heels of, of Paul's admonition to this church, hey, you've, you've got a zealous mind. It needs to be settled in your heart. And then, and then verse 8, you need to be confident in God's ability because stuff always happens. Life's hard, man. Life's difficult. But look at verse 8. And, and listen, you might want to underline the first part of this. And God is able. God's able. He's able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And, and listen, if that's not a verse to underline, highlight, memorize, stand on faith on, I don't know what is, because our God is able. And so concerning giving, God is asking, just like he asked the lad last week, what are you able to do? And a lad said, all I've got some loaves and fishes. I'm able to do that. That's all I'm able to do. And concerning giving, you need to be asking God, hey God, what are you able to do? And here's what God's able to do. God's able to make all grace abound. What is God able to do? Well, he's able to make all grace abound towards you. Not some grace, not most grace, not inconsistent grace. He's able to make all grace abound to you. And listen, if you want God's abounding grace in your life, you have to learn to trust him and you have to learn to give cheerfully and with a purposed heart toward his mission. Because listen, he's the one that's called us to give. <laughs> And when we're obedient to God, it puts us under the umbrella of the blessing of God. God said he's able to make all grace abound to us. Well, how often is that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen always. Because the verse says he's going to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, always, that, that speaks of the component of time. Man, how, how long will God's abundant grace be abundant? It'll be abundant always. You see, you see, the problem for some of us is we, we've been around for a minute, and we got those stories of how God's grace was abundant 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Some of us have walked with God for a minute, and we've seen God's abounding grace in our life before. And we even tell other people about that. Can I just tell you, it hasn't gone anywhere. It hasn't gone anywhere his abundant grace is present tense, always. Listen, it, it, it's available now. He's able to make all grace abound to you even now. And so if you've got a history, you've got a track record with God showing up and showing out and providing in the midst of your circumstances, 
Well, the same God is true yesterday, today, and forever. To what extent is God able? Well, here's how far God's hand reaches. God says that you can have all sufficiency. You can, his grace is able to give you all sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, it says, Now we are, we, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of who? It's of God. Our sufficiency comes from God. And we have to learn to, to trust that sufficiency. There's a cool story. We don't have time for it. But if you go back to Exodus 36, Moses is taking up an offering for the tabernacle. And he puts out the, the email that nobody checks. He puts the email out. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I apologize for that one. <clears throat> he probably checked click rates like I do. Anyways, um, he puts the word out, hey, these are the things that we need for the tabernacle. And the people just responded in faith. So much so that in Exodus 36 and verse 7, or verse 6 and verse 7, the Bible says that the people were restrained from bringing. The stuff that they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. Now, that's how you know Moses wasn't a Baptist, okay? <laughs> because he said, we're done. We're done with the offering. Stop bringing stuff. You know, a Baptist would just say, okay, well, now we got this. Okay, you guys lighten up a little bit. This, this preaching on money is making you sour-faced. All right. The point is, God is a God of sufficiency. In other words, God will provide everything that you need when you need it. And, and many times we want, man, the storehouse full. We want the huge bank account. We want, all, the, we want the, all contingencies in place. What if this happens? What if this happens? What, okay, yes. And, and listen, we're called to be wise stewards, of course. But our sufficiency is of God. It's not of our bank account. It's not of our 401k. It's not of our physical abilities to earn and make money. Our sufficiency is of God. And so be content with the sufficiency. Do you have what you need today? The answer is yes. You're all clothed. I think most of you bathed. There's donuts here. There's coffee. You have all you need for today. You have sufficient. It's sufficient. And and, and so listen, God's abounding grace can always be present so that we have all sufficiency. And here's the last part. Upon how many things in my life will God's grace extend? All things. Now, I don't know about you, but I need God's grace in all things in my life. I need God's grace in my marriage. I need God's grace in my health. I need God's grace in my sanity, in my thought processes, in my physical strength. I need God's grace driving down South Parkway so that bad things don't happen to other people. I need it, man. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 12, remember Paul was experiencing some, some major things in his life up to and including this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, not counting all the other things that he had experienced in life, the shipwreck and the beatings and, and the imprisonments and all the things, and not counting the care of the churches. And he asked God, man, God, this is, this is kind of much. This thorn in the flesh thing is kind of much. Can you take it away? And he asked God three different times to take that thing away. Second Corinthians 12, verse 9, God said to him, Christ said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, any, 
I don't understand how Christians go through life without God's sufficient grace. I don't understand it. But there's a lot of them that do. There's a lot of them that go, that, that go through life without God's sufficient grace. And the reason why is because they somehow, some way, they can trust God with their soul for salvation. But they can't trust him with anything else. Up to and including their money. Are you kidding me? You can trust God to save your soul, but you can't trust him with your checkbook. You can't trust him with your bank account. You can't trust him with his sufficiency to provide what you need as you're obedient to give the way God's called you to, be, to give. That makes no sense to me. You're not walking in the sufficiency that Christ offers. And you're trying to walk in your own sufficiency. And if you were honest with yourself, you're failing miserably. Why did God give us his abounding grace? Well, he tells us right there at the very end of that passage. The reason that he gave it to us is so that we can abound to every good work. Because God has a work for us to accomplish. God meets our needs. His grace is sufficient so that we can serve him and so that we can serve others. So that we can do the work of the ministry. God's given us grace to do the work of the ministry. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 18. If you're born again, God's given you the ministry of reconciliation. Not just your pastor, not just your leaders. He's given you, Christian, the ministry of reconciliation. And so listen, if you want to abound in God's grace, be about God's business. Be about his ministry. So three things we talked about. We're out of time. Let's, let's wind it down real quick. All your blanks filled in. I made an error on the, on the notes. I think there's a blank earlier that left over from last week, so... You get extra credit if you fill that in. Actually, I looked at that. Derek was like, hey, man, I think the notes have a, a glitch in it. And uh, I was like, man, where, that's not even in the sermon. I was like, oh, it's last week's sermon. So, yeah, I need some, some abounding grace right now from the church family, okay? You're not getting those blanks. <laughs> just, just have grace. All right, so three things we saw. Number one, we need to be ready with our bounty. You know, last week I asked you, to take that faith promise piece of paper. And I asked you to go home and pray and seek the Lord's face. And the reason I ask you to pray is because last week, some of you had in your mind, well, I already know what I can afford to give. But God wanted to do a work in your heart. And if you really spend some time, maybe the number that, God put in your, or that you put in your mind is different than what God put in your heart. I know in my, my heart and life, uh, you know, we're still trying to figure out exactly what it is. We're going to take these commitments through the end of the month. The point is, we need to prepare ourselves to be ready. What we're asking is a faith promise missions commitment for the next 12 months. This is your commitment to give to, to global missions above your tithe for the next 12 months. I don't want your name on that piece of paper. I would like you to circle if you're an adult, if you're a teen, or if you're a child. If you need help determining that, come see me after church. I'll be happy to point you in the right direction. We need to be ready with our bounty. We need to be purposed in our heart. And let me just tell you, when you make that commitment, whatever it is, you had better be confident in God's ability. Because as soon as you make that commitment, buckle up. You're going to have to learn to trust that your sufficiency really is from God. It really is. I could tell you story after story 
of God's abounding grace in our life, financially, in our marriage. Cars that got way better gas mileage than they should have. Groceries that lasted a lot longer than they should have. Refund checks coming in the mail that you'd forgot you sent off a mail-in rebate, if you even do that anymore. You do it all online now. I can tell you time after time, God's grace is sufficient. And it doesn't mean we're not stretched, and it doesn't mean God hasn't called us to a, a big task to give, like that lad last week. Here's what we got, Lord. That's all we got. And we're a little church in the grand scheme of things. But a little church with God's grace, abounding grace on it, can do a lot of great things. And I really believe that. And so let's just bow our heads, and we're going to close an invitation. Father, we love you.